Yes, so welcome to Red and Mickey. First Talking of all, mental health with Sarita. Go ahead, Tiff. <laughs> Girl, my family is over. They upstairs talking about um, going on Family Feud. I just got a text message from my dad. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, my dad sent me a Family Feud link like as you hit record. I'm like, oh my gosh, y'all would be the perfect family for that. Being um, home. This is it. This is <laughs> welcome. <laughs> To being home. Welcome. Welcome. Right. Um, me and Tiffany prepared some questions because we're professional. Um, and we thought that these would be kind of all encompassing of a lot of the, the topics that, you know, a lot of people bring up. So the questions me and Tiff prepared were, how should I speak to someone with mental health issues like depression? So if you're not the one experiencing it, like how can I help someone that's going through that, right? Second question is, how do you support someone during mental health crises like panic attacks or you know having manic episodes, things like that? Number three, are drugs or therapy better? Number four, when should you seek help for mental health and how? And number five is, if you can't afford therapy, what should you do? What are some other resources to get the help that you need? Okay. Uh, so, I mean, we don't necessarily need to start with number one, but for sake of being organized, um, why not? <laughs> I think that's a, good, a good place to start. It's yeah. one for a reason, so might as yeah, well. So, so, yeah, how should I speak to someone that's going through um, mental health issues, like something like de depression specifically? We're in a pandemic right now. I know a lot of people are experiencing that may not have even experienced it before, so. Um. It's a big question. It is a huge question. I mean, of course, the the easy um, answer is everyone is so different. Um, I think there's a, a couple of criterias first, like does the person realize that they're struggling with depression or is are they not um, completely knowing? Um, so I think that's something to take into consideration, like, have they have you experienced them having depressive episodes before um you know how much do they talk about their life with you are you their person um so i think that those are a really kind of like if you're the person that's trying to broach the conversation those are kind of good markers to consider before going into it because you know where someone may be having some difficulties or challenges with say depression or anxiety you may not be the person that they want to discuss that with um and so being sensitive and, and understanding that we all for the most part have our people um but going back to if you do want to broach if it's someone that you care about I think we've all had depressive moments and not, uh, we don't have to be diagnosed with depression, um, but we've all had symptoms of being down. We've all experienced sadness. We've all experienced these things. So I really enjoy when someone is bringing in themselves and being vulnerable 
um, in broaching a conversation and saying how they their own personal moments of anxiety or depression or hearing voices or and I mean and and yeah there may be more significant things but we talk to ourselves constantly and we all have had intrusive thoughts um, some more severe than others so being able to tap in into your own experience and then being able to support someone else um, I think is really helpful. So if you are the person's, just to go into the second question, kind of, if you are that person's person, mm-hmm. like you are someone that's close to that person and they are, and say they're having a crisis, they're having a panic attack, they're, or you notice something different with their mental or, you know, whatever it is, you notice they're depressed or they're down, say it's something that, that it's new to your, your relationship. Like you guys have never talked about it before. Like what would be a good way to support um as I say you know being honest about what you notice like yo I'm noticing that you're more distant or I'm noticing that you're having a harder time with like articulating your thoughts or I'm I'm noticing that you're getting more aggravated like yo I, I I want you to realize and 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 understand that I love you and whatever is happening like I I want you to always know that you can talk to me about it you know and whenever you're ready um but also understand that me as your person I'm going to invite you when I see things like you know because I think people think that friendships are these things that aren't supposed to challenge each other Mm. and that's not a friendship that's just being complacent And so if you're noticing something and you are that person's person, then you have, I would say the moral obligation to be like, yo, what the fuck is up? Mm -hmm. And whatever way you say, what the fuck is up to your person. So what if the person isn't receptive? Like depending on what, like, so I, I'll just use at me, at me, I know I was manic. Just at ah, me. I wasn't even about to say you, but I mean, we can no, use you. No, I'm just kidding. I actually, after you finish your thought, I was going to tell you something about how people approached me when I was manic. Um, I mean, I can say how I approach. I didn't approach you when you were manic. I approached your mom. (laughs) I was just like, like, I remember, I remember our first, my first interaction with you when you were manic. And I mean, I have my own mental health issues as well so it was really more of a like of course I noticed something was up but it was like I'm not even about to try to make you feel like you need to calm down there's something going on with you I just listened to what you said and was like word and just had the conversation with that you and then I called your mom (laughs) that was a smart way to handle it although she doesn't know how to handle things at all time all times either yeah um but well, no, I want you to say what you were going to say regardless. And then I'll oh, go and so that. I remember, I remember at the end of last year, it was like the first time that, so I started to experience, Sarita, am I saying this right? Suicidal ideations? Is that how you say it? Yep. So I started experiencing suicidal ideations. Well, I don't know what time that was last year. When did we start working together, Sarita? Like last, was that last summer? Yeah. It was before last summer. Maybe before the summer. It was like March. So, okay, so around the time that um, 
Sarita and I connected that was like when it had all when it got out of my control (laughs) like but I remember like in the beginning of of it like not taking it serious right like feeling like oh maybe I'm just being dramatic like my thoughts weren't necessarily um as extreme as I guess my own judgment of myself felt like they needed to be or like dramatic or like you know I don't know what I thought it needed to look like in order for me to feel like something was wrong but I remember one time I was on the phone with my best friend and I was just like in such a spiral like just everything was wrong and nothing was wrong in my life like everything was going right everything was great I was making money my I think my EP was about to drop like you know all but I just was so miserable and I remember her like you know, stopping me in the middle of my spiral and it, like hurting my feelings. Like she's like, hey girl, I think we should change the subject. And I just was like, bitch. Like I remember as her, like that being the like one of the first times that she really like challenged that part of me and she changed the subject, changed the 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 direction of our conversation. And then she showed up at my house. I did not want her to come over. I did not want company. And then she told me later, she was just like, I just had this feeling like I felt like something bad was going to happen if I didn't come over there. You know, she just, and so I say to, you know, anybody that's supporting someone like me or, you know, you in those situations, like, listen to your gut, like, listen to your gut. If your gut is like, I don't know, I feel like I might regret this if I don't pull up pull up whether they want you want you there or not because be clear I was like no I'm good don't come over here bitch no like you know what I'm saying I was being mad rude you know and she just was like love you on my way (laughs) that's because that was your person not anyone could just that's what I'm saying it was my best friend right yeah so I've had that actually leads perfectly are you can I what I was gonna say into what I was gonna say about people approaching me when I'm manic or when they think I'm manic. That's another thing is sometimes a bitch is just drunk. (laughs) Like I'm I'm just saying like literally, not literally, but it's okay for me to have extreme personality moments that have nothing to do with my mental illness. right? Right. And so I've had many experiences with people that are not my person and not close to me and just maybe know me through social media or are like a very distant friend, you know, contact me and say, hey, is everything okay? Like I saw you posting a lot on your story and like da 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 da. And it's like, personally, I feel attacked when I get those messages. I'll literally be on my couch, like completely chilling, right? And it'll be people judging my behavior based on what they see and they're not actually with me, right? Um, So that's something that I'm sure other people can relate to, not even in like a bipolar sense, but what happens when someone has the wrong vibe, gets the wrong vibe, right? And Mm -hmm. like, how do you correct them without coming off ungrateful that they're checking on you, you know? Mm -hmm. I think think that saying, you know, thank you, I, I appreciate it and I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. And no, I, I appreciate you for, for checking in. Um, and I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Because I, I think that also people feel entitled mm. to yes. in, 
and, and, you know, in the work that I do, I have been really fortunate to work in spaces um, that are just different from other, other people or other therapists. And I, I have seen with many of my clients who have chosen or who entertainment has chosen them, because I don't think that anybody would willingly choose the entertainment industry just as a whole other, <laughs> a whole other show. However, um, I think people, when you're in some type of entertainment or you have some type of name, people feel entitled to be able to say what they want. Um, that's dangerous, but it is also a double-edged sword because many of the people that I work with have signed up for that life until mm -hmm. that life hits them in the face. And it's like, I don't want to, I, I don't even know you. Why would I even right. talk to you about what's going on in my, in my life? You don't in know my me. mental health life. Right. Yeah. <sighs> I've experienced that with my, like, when I was like, um, beefing with my publishing company with the k-pop stuff you know that was like my first like viral whatever moment and there were a lot of people that were like is she like losing it, she losing like, it? yeah like yo hey just check in on you and it's just like bitch I, mean, I don't even know you like that like don't hit me talking about are you checking on me now because I'm loud like just because I'm loud doesn't mean that I'm but but the thing is though I think that what's really hard, and I do this sometimes too, because I'm someone's person too. I'm a couple people's people, you know, and I love, um, I love plenty of people who have um, mental health issues. And like, I think two things, one, because of my own mental health issues and Sarita can testify to this for sure. I definitely project a lot of, <laughs> I definitely project a lot of my own mental health stuff on other people like I'm always like terrified for people because I know from personal experience what you know what it's like um but two like it is definitely hard like I can I can admit Mickey as your friend like there have definitely been moments where I've been like should I ask if something's up <laughs> but I'll just like, but, but when I feel it like that, though, it was the, I just thing. pay attention though, instead of me asking yeah. instead of, because I know what it feels like to be asked. So it, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's almost like, you know, you feel like I can fucking take care of myself. Like, don't ask me about this, how I feel, you know? And so those times that I have felt like that as your friend, I just pay more attention to you. Like, I'll just be like, all right, well, let me like get into her shit and see what she's up to. And usually it's just like, hella projects or some shit <laughs> but like you know I like a really good point Tiff in terms of like I think people are too quick to to sometimes ask questions when assume. all you have to do is just pay attention just yeah you know, because people's mental health challenges don't have an on and off switch mm -hmm. usually there's a starting point and absolutely it, it's a progression yeah. So if you're in constant communication or or interaction with a person and you start to see them, for lack of a better term, decompensate or just, you know, kind of progressively going down, um, 
you know, I, I think it's 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 important to pay attention and not just go with your knee jerk reaction. I'm going to ask them what's going on. Right. Because it's like you're just naturally worried. Like it's like, OK, so, you know, like as Mickey's friend, I've seen Mickey in that space before. Right. So it's like I you know, I don't want her to have to go through that again. And so, you know, I naturally you know, I love her. So I want to be like, hey, but I also have to make space for and I think. This is my stuff, too, I think that like part of people's personalities, like I think sometimes how people act may make you think that that's what they're doing. Like Mickey, for instance, is the kind of person, she's very innovative. She's always creating something. And I feel like if you don't know her well enough, you could think that she's manic by the speed that she works. But if you didn't know her, if you knew her, you would know she works hella fast. She's always been like that. That's not Mickey when she's manic. Or that's not it. That's not the only thing she's doing when she's manic. And so, um, but I think, I don't know, it's just easy to just be worried. And also people are grownups. And that's, I mean, I know that hit home, Tiff, but people are (laughs) (laughs) grownups. And we have to give the people, just everyone, if you are a grownup space, to do do life the way you do life. And sometimes that means that people kind of crash and burn. Mm. And because we love them, it's hard to see. And sometimes it's also necessary. And as long as they know at the end of it, no matter how they choose to deal with it, you're gonna be there. And Mm. I think that's the biggest gift that we can give to anyone that no matter how, how you make the decision and you decide to take this season in your life, I'm going to be here. Right. Because we often feel, and because I think that mental health, when you are in a space where it's, it's a challenge for you, it doesn't allow you to be rational. It doesn't allow you to, to, not attach shame to your decisions. Like it's really sneaky in that way, no matter if it's anxiety, no matter if it's depression, no matter if it's schizophrenia, like some of the root of that, of all of that is the shadow. And so if we're, if, if, and in that shadow, if you're not willing to deal with the shadow, it's going to continue to come up Mm. until you're saying, okay, enough is enough. Right, and that's a personal decision. Um, Ashley asked, how do you differentiate a person's constant negative talk from a potential mental health disorder like depression? Um, She said that she's currently distancing herself from a person who puts her in a bad mood because of the the direction of their conversations that leave her feeling drained and isolated. So that's, I just put it into third person as I was reading it in first person. So I think I killed it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so how do you, I don't think, can I say something? I don't think that you need to diagnose your friend with depression or not. Cause you know, I know you actually, you're not a mental health professional. So I wouldn't dif- try to even differentiate that's pressure. That's pressure on, on yourself, on yourself. Yeah. yeah. On yourself. I wouldn't even try to differentiate anything. I would just like Sarita said earlier, um, maybe mention the behavior to her. And the reason you're distancing yourself is because it's, it's affecting you and what you're doing. And I know a little bit about your life and you have kids and all this, like you have other shit going on. Like you can't be super worried about their problem, but 
anyways that was my or let that person come to you like you know you can distance yourself I mean I've gone through that with a, with my friends all the time and I'm and I and I've been the person that they've distanced from like you know I think we've all <laughs> you know but I to me distancing yourself just sounds like healthy boundaries to me like it's like all right well I don't like this energy they're in a bad space right now it's temporary there's nothing about somebody's energy that lasts forever so it's like all right distance yourself and if the person says hey I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while like where you been then you can the perfect time to be like man your vibes just seemed you know whatever and I just wanted to give you the space and blah blah you know what I mean like and then like be able to bring it up there so that it's not even a thing if it's you know oh just yeah perspective self-preservation yeah I, I love the self-preservation for sure um and you have I, I think that we don't do as good of a job all the time with really understanding who are what our friendships are like, I, I think that social media has us feeling like we got a whole lot of friends and at a certain age in life, that shit just isn't true. And so I truly, if I'm, if I'm calling you a friend and I'm distancing myself from you, are you really my friend? Like, and I can't bring it up to you. How much are we really cool like that? Because if you, if I am your friend and if we are, we are, we are family, I'm going to bring it up and be like, yo, like what's, what's, what's happening? Cause this is how I'm feeling. Are am, am I, am I completely off base? Like help, help me understand if what I'm feeling isn't necessarily the thing, or is there something else? Cause Girl, you're running me low. <laughs> so what do you do if the if their response is defensive or if it doesn't, it, you know, because some people get that conversation don't always go. It hardly ever does. Yeah. And then that's when you can point to, and this is the reason why I got to take a break. Mm. Because mm. if I can't bring you my heart and you at least in, internalize it because you know that I'm never coming from a uh a place of nastiness or I'm trying to tear you down and all of that. If that is the, the, the case, you know my heart. So if I can't come to you with something that I'm observing, then once again, how cool are we? Mm. Because I'm not at a certain point in my life, I'm not into the tiptoe game. Mm. I'm not into the eggshell game. And if, I, if I'm walking on eggshells for you, then how cool are we? Mm, that's good. Ooh. That's a lyric, bitch. Like, I know. I'm, like, I'm about to write a whole album. Eggshells. How cool are we? So we got some publishing. Go ahead, girl. Eggshells. But um, the, way the music industry ain't going to see that shit. So never mind. <laughs> I'm done. I wanted to ask the third question because um, I, this is really, this is a big one. Is our drugs or therapy better. I don't think it's an and or, or but um, talking about medication is a very eggshell topic um, for anyone. So I don't know how you address those when you're speaking to people, those types of things. But um, I know 
since I'm kind of a mental health advocate, a lot of people ask me about medication and I do my best to distance myself from that conversation. I'm not a doctor, can't tell you what I take, if I do take meds, if I don't, like my life is completely different than yours. Our brain chemistries are different, all of that. Um, just had to put that disclaimer out there. Um, but how do you talk to people about meds and when do you think they're necessary? Do you think they're always necessary or not? I'm curious your your take on that, um, that topic, drugs or therapy or both? Um, so I started my career being very, very, very anti uh medication. Um, I've been a therapist for the last 15 years and I, that's the only reason why I didn't become a psychiatrist is because I didn't, and when I, be, when I became a therapist or before, I was like, what is it that I can do that doesn't have to involve medication because it was something that I was really strongly not, not a, it, it wasn't something that I, um, particularly uh, agreed with. But knowing that that was my own childhood trauma, seeing people that I loved, not uh, just abuse prescription meds, but recreational uh, drugs as well. Like, so I had a really um, unfortunate relationship outside of myself with drugs. Um, now, a little further back. Also, we are the highest and the most medicated society in the world. In the world, we take more medications for everything. We can have a hangnail and we're dropping an Advil. So we're already in a culture of over medication. We over medicate our kids. We put our kids at three and five years old on Ritalin and Adderall and all of these things that are really just baby meth. Um, mm -hmm. And so when they grow up to be uh, meth heads, it's like, well, what happened? How did this happen? It's like, well, fool, you've been giving them medication since they were three. So needless to say, I felt a way about meds. Now that I've been able to kind of go through my journey in understanding medication, I truly believe that there are maybe five to 6% of the world that needs medication. It's a very, very, very low um, population for, and, and for me, because I think that we have so many other alternatives now. Um, and many people don't recognize that diet is a huge, huge thing when you're talking about brain chemistry, when you're talking about leveling out your moods, when, I mean, doing things that are alternative methods like sound baths, like yoga, like meditation, like chiropractic, like journaling, journaling. I think, like, but those, those things take too long and we're in instant gratification. I mean, so does drugs though, for real. Like Do I can Two to four, four to eight. Yo, when I remember when I first, like when I first started having panic attacks, like back to back, like every day and shit, I like went through a process of being addicted to Xanax for two years, right? And like the process, when you're having a panic attack and you take Xanax, Ativan, whatever, Klonopin, you have to wait for it to kick in. 
Like, it's not like it's like you take it and it's instantly gone. It's almost like the placebo effect initially of just your brain knowing that there's something in your body that's about to attack that. You know, but it's just like, it's not like no matter what you do, it all takes a long time. It's like, it's a process of coming, of coming down of, off of whatever you're going through. And it's also a space of, we don't, we then become reliant upon something completely outside of us to move us to feel better. And it's like, we are good enough. And I think that's unfortunately how the medication game goes. It's like, let, let's take the responsibility off of us and put it on a pill, or let's take the accountability and put it in a pill. And it's like, why are we continuously moving away from what our bodies naturally can do? We already have serotonin. We already have um, cortisol. We have these things in our body to help us regulate. What about with more extreme mental illnesses like um, schizophrenia? Yeah, like what do you think about that? Those those are the 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 moments when I feel like medication is medication is completely and, and even f- severe forms of depression. I'm not attempting to minimize anyone. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. However, I do believe that we go to medication a little too quickly. I believe that the way that I work and the way that I like to support people is let's let's try it all. Before and let medication be our last resort. The doctors, like I remember the first time I was having like panic attacks and I talked to my general doctor because I didn't know what was wrong with me. So I thought, I don't know. Right away. It, Meds. Huh? And that was the first thing, the first thing that he gave, that was the first time that I um, was on Klonopin. It was like the first, he was like, oh, you're having a panic attack. I'll write you a prescription for Klonopin. And it was like, boom. Like that was that. It wasn't like, hey, maybe you should go talk to somebody. Maybe you, and it was like around the time my grandfather had just died. So it was paired with something. It wasn't like a, you know, something I had been going through for a long time. It popped up and I wasn't advised to seek help. He instantly prescribed me something and I just took it. And I believe that in conjunction with because also what medication can help with is to get you out of the fog so that you can tap down into the shit that's really happening. Mm-hmm. And so it, it also supports you in taking off that, that first layer. Um, however, I still believe that medication is the most effective when it is coupled with therapy. I think having medication without therapy is super dangerous because there's no one that is supporting you and monitoring how the meds are actually happening. You're with you every single solitary day of your life. And so you don't have enough distance from yourself and your circumstances to be like, okay, not unless you're a person like Tiff who journals everything and will, you know, write Today, I felt two millimeters higher and more jovial than I did yesterday. Like, Big facts. Well, like, hmm, page 20. Oh, and we'll refer back to it. And it's like on no. February 17th, I ate a grilled cheese sandwich 
and my mood was X, Y, and Z. I listened to this to to decompress and all was good. And I smoked a joint. Like (laughs) Tiff can go back years and let you know how she was feeling on a particular day. And can I tell you, journaling like with with therapy and med. So I'm on Zoloft. Um, I haven't upped my dose. At honestly, I pro- I feel like I could probably get off. I probably don't actually need to be on it for real. Um, but I feel like the Zoloft journaling, getting more active. Uh, meeting Sarita and working with her like it was like all of those things created a big support system and so whenever and whenever I take any of the pieces off the board the shit the board falls falls on the floor (laughs) yeah build your own tool set right um I think that goes into the last question really well actually um since we're gonna wrap up soon in regards to therapy, therapy is expensive as it should be. <laughs> so if you are somebody that can't necessarily afford therapy, what are, and you feel like you can't talk to your friends or your family about what's going on, what are some alternatives um, that, that you could lean into? And besides journaling as well, it's like, you need someone else. Like, how do you, what else can you do? So I, I I feel very privileged to live in a city that therapy is readily available. You know, when you're talking about living in California, whether it's Northern or Southern California, I can't really talk about Central California because it's, you know, whatever. Um, Or like in New York, like I know that these places have access. but if you're living in the middle, it may be a lot harder. Um, I do believe that people get discouraged when looking for a therapist and when you have um, different parameters on it, like low cost or no cost, or I want a, a, a therapist with certain characteristics that may have certain modalities or like when you start to narrow, it becomes more and more challenging. But I would offer to people that being patient, I, I, I'd like to compare finding your therapist as you would to finding your significant other. Um, Many times, many people don't get lucky the first time out. And it's just like, wow, I found the perfect mate and we're 17 and we about to make this shit pop. We about to have just, we're gonna grow together. We're gonna love together and blah, blah, blah. Most of the time, your first relationship is not your last relationship. Usually we have to go through, oh, well, I'm sure some of you in this uh, this chat has gone through quite a few um, people to find the person that is for you. And you even question once you find that person, is that person actually the person for you? Like still even in when you 10 toes deep, you're like, damn is this really the person that has made the decision? Therapy is like that. Finding a therapist is like that. 
And I think that we oftentimes want it to be right out the gate. We find that person and we're diving deep, but that's not the case. And I think that therapy is already a very intimidating thing. And so when you don't hit it off the first, second, third, or fourth time, you're like, well, fuck it. I'm done. Like, I'm not trying to do this anymore. Just like dating. Sometimes you didn't kiss so many frogs. You're like, you know what? I'm good. Thanks. I'm just going to take a time out from this. Same thing. And so go into it with that mindset that I may not get it right off the bat, but eventually I will. There are so many people. I know that on my um, caseload, I have um, blocks of, of time for people that I do pro bono work with. Um, and usually it's like for three or four months. So it's a short term um, therapy, but it allows you to feel like, okay, I can, I have some tools, I can get a hold of this. Um, and then I can go on with my way. Um, there are nonprofits, there are community mental health organizations um, for more severe, um, for more, I, I think the, the part that really sucks, just like our country, um, it's usually middle America that gets fucked over um, because you're not poor enough to get free services, but you're not rich enough to be able to pay a therapist $200 an hour. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I find that that is really the challenge. So therapy for black girls is always a good one. Psychology Today is always a good one. Um, I think there's therapy for men, um, there that's out there. Um, there is, if you're in the LA area or just, I know in LA for sure, there are counseling centers. And I believe that each city has their own like counseling center where it's, um, based on, it's either it's low cost or no cost. It's based on your, um, your finances, um, but working in a counseling center early in my career, you just tell them what you make. You don't have to bring in, not unless the person is assholes, like we need paycheck stubs. Usually you can just be like, yo, I make this much. And they'd be like, okay, this is what you can pay. Um, there's, I know in the LA area, there is the Southern California Counseling Center. Um, and they have about a five to six week uh, wait list. Um, as well as Airport Marina uh, is also another one that has low cost, no cost fees. Um, those are the two that I know that are com- that are um, counseling centers that aren't community mental health agencies. And so the difference between community mental health agencies is that you have to be pretty. Um, I guess they call it disadvantage, which I really think is super fucked up because usually they're talking about black and brown people when they talk about people who are disadvantaged, but another conversation for another day. Um, but those agencies you get referred to um, and then they uh, take you through a pretty extensive intake process and then you get assigned a therapist. But usually you need more than just therapy. Usually it's you're needing... Um, like, uh, what is it called? The word is escaping me, but when you need somebody to help you with your life, pretty much, it's not in the system, but it's, it's someone who is like a parent partner. If you, if you oh, have like wow. a DCFS case, like it gets 
crazy. So you have to be in that, that barrel um, mm-hmm. to receive community mental health uh, support, which I think sucks. Um, mm-hmm. But it is hard. It, it's, it's fucked up for, for people who are really trying to be the best versions of themselves. Um, and you can be honest with therapists. Most therapists um, have know that not everybody can pay their fee. So it's like, hey, what's your sliding scale? Mm-hmm. Um, those are words to use. Do you have a sliding scale? How low will you go? Um, like I said, I, I do sliding scale-ish and then I do pro bono. Um, so for me, I, I feel like I'm kind of like the Robin Hood of, of therapists. So like my clients who can pay my rate, um, most of, I, I will get my rate and it's, it, hopefully there's no rappers on here, but it's usually rappers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for destigmatizing therapy. Like it's okay. Rappers need therapy. Too. Let's go rappers in therapy. And I have, and I have quite a few rappers. I'm very thankful to say I have quite a few rappers in therapy. Um, but I'm like, fool, you can't tell me that you don't have my rate because I see what you do in the club. I see what you're wearing. Now with all that ice. Don't mm. do it. We, we <laughs> rented the Bentley. He rented the Bentley. He rented it. Mm-hmm. You rented the Bentley. Home. You could pay that rate. You're renting my time. So run them <laughs> coins. Thank you. Um, so usually I'll I'll make sure that whomever it is I that can pay my rate, they do pay my rate. And for those who can't, we fall in the middle. So I I have a I'm very thankful to have a a private practice that I'm able to do that. Um, but I also have to make sure that I'm not uh no. You know what I was going to (laughs) say? Now, you know what I was going to say? I was going to say, I think, I think what you're saying is like, it's just like you shop for anything else. It's like, just really try. Like, you know, if you, if you like, cause not all, um, therapists are willing to work on sliding scale. Not all of like, everybody is different. However, like she said, however, it's definitely possible. You just have to be willing to be vulnerable, have real conversations. And be humble. Yes. And and take advantage of the resources that are in front of you. Because the, the truth is, is you just really got to research and look for it. Just like with anything else. If you're, if you take it serious, you got to really like. And, yeah, and your vibe. Like I know I may go lower for some people because I like their vibe. Yeah, because it's also a two way street. Like I'm not I'm at the point in my career where I don't I'm not just taking anybody no more mm-hmm. I because I know the type of work that I need to be able to do. So that self-preservation is a two way street. So just yeah. like you are seeing if I am a good fit for you. Well, I'm seeing if you a good fit for me. <laughs> my mouth is crazy. <laughs> I say whatever the fuck I want. In session, I will check you if need be. And I need to know that you can handle that. And every therapist is not like that. I will say, so I've had two therapists in my life. Sarita is my second. My first was this guy named this white dude named John. Mine was white too. Mine was white too. Listen, and no shade, no shade to, to 
to um, white folks, but I really, and men, but I really wanted the second time around. I was like, I want, like, I remember the day that I called Mir and I was like, I need a black woman therapist like today. And she's like, call you back. And then she hit me and was like, yo, this is Sarita. And I was like, yo, what's good? And so I think it's like with anything else, you got to get specific, but there's no way to find that unless you're willing to look and try. Cause like my first therapist, I did about a year with John. John, um, he, he uh, did, he worked a lot in addiction. And so that was when I was trying to get off of Xanax. So it was really good. He helped me go through the process of getting off. And when I, you know, we reached our plateau, you know, I kept it pushing and kept looking, you know? So to your point, Sarita, it's absolutely like, you don't just match with people instantly. And I think that it's when you feel comfortable in this whole therapy game, like to know when it's time to go. Mm. My job, I'm not, I haven't done my job adequately if I got people that I've been seeing consistently for 10 years. Mm. That is not my goal. My goal is to not have people like, I'm always going to be here. You can come in, check in, check out, and we can work that way. But if you're constantly coming to me, then I'm not giving you the tools and supporting you and learning the tools because you have to know that you can stand on your own. I'm not a pacifier. I'm not your whoopee. And I don't want anyone to ever be dependent on me. When does someone know when it when they're in a good place to stop therapy? How do you know? When you say to yourself, damn it, I think I'm in a good place. I, I think <laughs> I could, I think I could do this. But I mm -hmm. also think that people will start to show you signs like they may not have as much to talk about when they come or mm -hmm. they start to uh, cancel um, mm -hmm. with some regularity um, or they're just, you can tell when someone's just not into it. And oftentimes I'm like, yo, do you think that it's time for us to like take a break? And most people are like, yes, I did not know that. It's like, well, say something stupid. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's okay. Right. Um, so I, I, I find that not everyone is, I'm not going to be potentially supportive. Well, A, I'm not for everyone, but also, you may work with me for two or three years and we have moved through whatever it was you initially came with and you may want to work with someone else like Tiff did or like Randall did on This Is Us. Like he was working with his white therapist and she got him through his panic attacks and all this other mm -hmm. shit. And then when he was like, yo, I want to start to talk about my identity and being a black kid and in a white family, he was like, I need a black, black therapist. therapist. Yeah. Um, so know that it's okay to to separate and when it's time to move on. And that's okay too. It doesn't hurt our feelings. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm not going nowhere. No matter I'm not leaving you anytime soon, Sarita. I'm staying. <laughs> I'm staying with you. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> okay, great. I'm done. I love it. So I'm working with the next group of um incoming therapists and my hope is to um you know really support the next generation of therapists um because I need help um in in this music game 
Um, you know, creating yeah. this mental health and wellness division of LVRN has been a huge blessing, but I want this to be replicated. My goal is in the next four to five years to have every record label have mental health, a mm. mental health department mm. on their on their roster Game for changing. all staff members, for all executives, and for all artists. That is the Hell goal. Yeah. I've started with LVRN, so we're about to make this shit dope. And then we are going to blow it up and move it to insert record label here. And then yeah. I'm going to move it hard to drive my label. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, that, that is because I know that when we support the tastemakers and the artists of the world, you are the ones that speak directly to the masses. And so if you are well and in a space of wholeness, the music that you make is going to reflect that. The art that you make is going to reflect that, which mm -hmm. then reflects to everyone else. It's red.